As we all know, Sleepy Joe isn't getting any younger. So it's as important for me to do an episode about his VP, Kamala Harris, as it is anyone else. She may very well be his running mate again in 2024. If Biden, for some reason, on short notice by decision or by default, suddenly doesn't run, she may. While everyone tends to pay little to no attention to vice presidential candidates or vice presidents in general, I can't stress enough that a vote for a presidential candidate is also a vote for their running mate. In fact, there are plenty of people alive today who are alive to see vice presidents take over as president. People less than a decade older than me were alive when Gerald Ford replaced Richard Nixon, even though Gerald Ford did not run on a ticket with Richard Nixon and he was appointed vice president after the original one was out of there. So you could say he was never elected at all in the first place regarding the White House. I mean, as a congressman all those years, yes. But in the White House, never elected, just known as the accidental president. But the point is, he was a vice president, and he replaced Richard Nixon when Nixon resigned. And there are people only a few years older than me who were alive during that. People alive today from my parents' generation were alive when LBJ replaced JFK. And there are still people alive today who were alive when Harry Truman replaced FDR. So it is a thing. Then there are vice presidents who run for office after the president they served with completed their terms. We know uh, Mike Pence recently threw his hat in the ring in the Republican primary. But even before this, in my lifetime alone, Jimmy Carter's VP, Walter Mondale, ran for president in 1984 but lost. And Reagan's VP, George H.W. Bush, ran for president in 1988 and won. Clinton's VP, Al Gore, ran for president in 2000, won the popular vote, oh yeah, that, and would have become president if it weren't for a mess in Florida and a Supreme Court decision. Now, Obama's VP, Joe Biden, is president and so far is running for re-election. So if there are reasons I have for advising against anyone supporting or voting for Kamala Harris, well, I'm doing an episode about it right here, right now. Woo! We already covered in the last episode how Donald Trump has donated to Kamala Harris before. And there are countless sources that verify it. A quick look on OpenSecrets.org, you can find industries and companies who donated to her political campaigns throughout her political career. Honestly, I've seen much worse with most other politicians, but still worth checking out. Individuals who work for all sorts of companies and all sorts of industries, all right, you're always going to see that no matter who you look up. I mean, I've said it before, I'm saying it again, a bank teller at the local Citibank branch is, you know, donating a couple bucks to a candidate who they agree with is not the same as Citibank itself or their PAC donating 
thousands and thousands of dollars to a candidate. All right. I mean, one is just donating to someone who likes what they're hearing and wants to see them succeed. And then the latter is basically bribing. All right. So again, that's something to keep in mind when looking these things up on open secrets. If you see zero, zero, bunch of zeros underneath packs, but you see all kinds of money under individuals, then you know, that's not ex so much the industry itself. It's just individual people who happen to work for a in a particular industry or at a particular company. Because when you donate to a political campaign, you are asked, where do you work and what kind of industry it's in? So I just wanna make that clear so you have a better, clear understanding on how to look these things up on open secrets and what the dollar amounts really mean or don't mean, all right? Now, as far as PACs, the companies themselves, uh, big tech and entertainment stand out the most, which makes sense in California, but again, gives you an idea of whose back she had while serving in California. Moving on to her actual record serving in California and important things worth noting. A well-known blemish on her record as California Attorney General would be her truancy program. That meant charging parents with a misdemeanor if their child missed 10% of the school year without a valid reason. My question is, what's considered a valid reason? And even without one, is it really always the fault of the parents? You can check out an October 17th, 2020 piece by NPR titled, The Story Behind Kamala Harris's Truancy Program. It goes into great detail and even reports an example of a parent of a child with a chronic illness who had to miss a lot of school because of it. The parent didn't neglect this. She tried to work with the school on how to accommodate and account for those absences. Well, she lived in a conservative law and order county where the district attorney did a huge truancy sweep, which led to a humiliating arrest and perp walk for this parent of an ill child. If Kamala Harris really regrets pushing for this law, then it's clear it's because she didn't think it through the way anyone in that position ought to. If she remains a true believer in this type of law, whether or not she admits it, then she's clearly an authoritarian or another politician who wants to make a name for themselves regardless of whose expense it's at. A HuffPost piece from March 27, 2019, titled The Human Costs of Kamala Harris's War on Truancy goes into even more detail. Harris at her 2011 inauguration was quoted as saying, we are putting parents on notice. If you fail in your responsibility to your kids, we are going to work to make sure you face the full force and consequences of the law. All right, the penalty under this law is a fine of $2,500 or more or one year in jail. Now let's say it's the parent who's, who is chronically ill and can only do so much to get their kid to do something. And while there are parents out there that can do a better job, most are doing the best they can and already have enough on their plate, such as a job or two, in order to just feed, clothe, and house their kids. They're already under enough pressure. And this may surprise some people, but bad behavior among kids is not always the fault of the parent contrary to certain beliefs that are out there. Anyone who really cares about the struggles of poor working and even middle-class families would understand that this type of law misplaces blame 
is crude and doesn't come close to getting at the root of the problem. You can find 55 things you need to know about Kamala Harris in an August 2020 piece by Politico. There is a lot of who cares type stuff, but also other things to take notice of. For example, number 24, she was under scrutiny during her tenure as San Francisco District Attorney when a technician stole cocaine from the DA's crime lab and mishandled evidence. Harris, trying to keep things under wraps, failed to inform defense attorneys. And the truancy law we just went over is in there. And number 31, the California Department of Justice recommended in 2012 that Harris file a civil enforcement action against One West Bank for widespread misconduct when foreclosing homes. Harris, however, declined to prosecute the bank or its then CEO, Steve Mnuchin, who later became Trump's Treasury Secretary, who we mentioned in the last episode. Number 32, some advocates say Harris didn't go, didn't do enough to address police brutality while she was Attorney General, especially after she refused to investigate the police shootings of two black men in 2014 and 2015. She also didn't support a 2015 bill in the state assembly that would have required the Attorney General to appoint a special prosecutor who specializes in police use of deadly force. Number 43, during the campaign, Harris shied away from discussing specifics about her career as a prosecutor, a strategic choice born of fear that voters on the left would criticize her overall criminal justice issues. She even failed to give a sharp response to Representative Tulsi Gabbard's attacks against her record, leaving voters unclear about her positions. Now, I remember that primary debate. When Tulsi Gabbard called her out on her record, it was curtains for Harris's campaign. And rightfully so. Let's look at some more red flags in her record. An August 12, 2020 piece by Vox, with a V as in Victor, Vox, called Kamala Harris's controversial record on criminal justice out. It's called Kamala Harris's controversial record on criminal justice explained. And it calls out a lot of stuff. It goes into some good things that she's done or supported as well. But it is very important to see some of the red flags in there. So it did cite some specific examples. While there are some good things in there, again, there's a lot of bad news as well. So her office fought to release fewer prisoners even after the US Supreme Court found that overcrowding in California prisons was so bad that it amounted to unconstitutional, cruel, and unusual punishment. At one point, her lawyers argued that the state couldn't release some prisoners because it would deplete its pool for prison labor. Wow. She'll say she wasn't aware of that, and if that is the case, what else will she not be aware of being done under an administration of hers? You know, that is something to think about. An examination of her record found that while she pushed for programs that helped people find jobs instead of putting them in prison, but also fought to keep people in prison even after they were proven innocent. She implemented training programs to address police officers' racial biases, but also resisted calls to get her office to investigate certain police shootings. 
instead of shaking things up in the California Department of Justice as Attorney General, which people would have expected from a so-called progressive, her office mostly maintained the status quo when it came to over-incarceration and the wrongly incarcerated. One example would be a case where her office argued against Daniel Larson, who was proven innocent by the Innocence Project, because Harris's office claimed he filed his petition for release far too late after a legal deadline. Well, the court disagreed, allowing Larson's release in 2013. Harris and her supporters will argue that she likely wasn't closely involved in these cases as Justice Department policy didn't require state lawyers to seek approval from the Attorney General. As Harris said at a primary campaign event, these are cases where there were folks that made a decision in my office and they had not consulted me and I wish they had. Well, they're not going to if they don't have to. The thing is, Harris could have changed department policy. An example of when she overlooked and defended law enforcement officials accused of misconduct would be when a state prosecutor, Robert Murray, falsified a confession, using it to threaten the defendant with life in prison. After a court threw out the indictment, Harris's office appealed it, dismissing the misconduct because it did not involve physical violence. Harris also resisted some attempts to hold police accountable for shootings, including a bill that would have required the Attorney General's office to investigate killings by police and efforts to create statewide standards for police-worn body cameras. She also defied calls to have her office quickly investigate certain police shootings in California. Now, as a senator, she has worked in the other direction on bills with uh, Cory Booker and even Rand Paul. She expresses responsibility and regret for all that I mentioned when confronted with it. But if she learned from it all, what pressure, if any, is she putting on Biden? As marijuana on the federal level is still categorized on the same level as heroin. I mean, she'll throw a bone to those who believe in doing the right thing, and she'll go as far as to speak on your behalf when the wind blows a certain direction. But how hard or how likely will she fight on your behalf? There are a lot worse people and politicians than Kamala Harris. Make no mistake about that. But nonetheless, she is still a part of the establishment and the machine we all loathe and despise. I'm forgiving and understanding of regrets or changes in mind and heart if we're talking about stupid shit people said or did in their younger years, or when they weren't involved or interested in politics and had no effect on the lives of thousands or millions of people. But when we're talking about people in mature phases of their lives, holding high office or a powerful job, in or out of government, we should expect and demand better. That's because at that point, they should know better. Taking campaign money from corporations and scumbags like Donald Trump, disappointing record as an attorney general, and these are people's lives and reputations we're talking about that she threw under the bus. A history of authoritarianism, and not going to bat for those in the lower classes when they needed it the most while letting rich, corrupt scumbags like Steve Mnuchin get away with their fuckery? I wouldn't call any of the criticisms made here petty. 
And not to mention, one can call themselves democratic all they want, but being among the least popular 2020 primary candidates, yet still being the VP choice, doesn't sound too democratic to me. Neither do a lot of things about the Democratic Party, such as superdelegates and ways they try to get third parties off of ballots and all of that. But nonetheless, everything that I just mentioned here is everything you need to know about Kamala Harris. Important to do this episode and others like it right now regarding the scumbags and sellouts who may seek higher office in the near future because we have to get it out now. Waiting until October of 2024 to try to convince people that both major party candidates are awful will be too late. We know this. Time is crucial to make better decisions in the primary elections or get a bigger movement going on to support a better option outside the duopoly. To hear more episodes, follow The Andrew Miller Show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also available on Google Podcasts and several other podcast platforms I never even heard of until making these podcast episodes. If you want to support the show by throwing a few bucks at it, there's a link for that at the end of the show's description where it says About on the Spotify page or directly underneath the show's photo on the Apple Podcast site. You can also follow the show on Facebook, The Andrew Miller Show. To recognize it on Facebook, the profile pic is the same for the show itself, the astronaut on the moon with the flag, and the cover photo has two pictures in it. The one where Trump and the Clintons are schmoozing together, having a good time, and within it is the photo of Biden awarding Bush the Liberty Medal. Because nothing says liberty like supporting the Patriot Act, NSA spying, and the failed war on drugs. The point of those pics as the cover photo is that it's a big club and you and I aren't in it, as George Carlin pointed out in one of his later rants. Sadly, many people in this country need to be reminded of that. And of course, always remember, demand and pressure from the bottom on up is how real change happens. Anything that is great about our country, I know anyone can make a 10 hour long podcast episode about everything that's not great, but there are some great things. And everything that is great about our country or even public and government services or programs that are actually good. None of that came about because of an elected official who wanted to be nice. Uh-uh. It all comes from demanding it. A lot of protections or freedoms that are passed in individual states don't happen from leaving everything in the hands of the governor, but rather a referendum or public question or ballot initiative. A yes or no vote on the ballot for the people to decide. In fact, you can scroll through previous episodes of the show and find an episode about ballot initiatives and referendums. Hey, if you believe citizens and taxpayers should have more say in how their tax money is being spent, there's an episode about participatory budgeting. If you think the winner of an election should be the person who got the most votes, yeah, imagine that, right? There's an episode about a national popular vote. If you loathe and despise both the Democrat and Republican parties and are embarrassed to be registered as one, but still see them as the only game in town, 
and there's a candidate you like running in their publicly funded and administered primary election, there's an episode about open primaries. Or how about this? If you want to vote for a third party or independent candidate without being deemed a spoiler, and want to see more people feel comfortable voting their true conscience, check out the episode on ranked choice voting. If you're wondering what the deal is with delegates and primaries and at the party conventions, there's an episode about that too. Check it all out. Learn how to get involved. While I continue to rant about what I don't like here and there, or interview candidates I'd like to see succeed or gain more traction, I'll also cover more causes and talk with people involved in them. This is where it's at. Let's move forward, and for now, peace out.